Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. We're looking at a a big portion of Scripture today, uh, but we're going to do it in segments, and so uh, just keep your your finger in that section of, of Scripture. Now, as time went on, it got harder and harder for people to follow Jesus. It didn't get easier. Uh, Some had been there and they had seen this uh, amazing miracle of uh, Jesus feeding these 15,000, 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. Incredible miracle. Some of them got their bellies full there. That's easy, in a sense. They like that. It's all good. Let's keep following him until he began to teach. And then he began to talk about what all that meant and to talk to them about their motives for following him. Some of you are here because your stomachs got full yesterday, and that's why you're here. I know that. He wasn't driving them away, but some of them in their mind had to be admitting, okay, he, he sees into my heart. And then he began to talk about Uh, bread and saying, look, it's not about that bread that, that we ate then. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing bad about that. But there is another bread. And, and it is a bread that if you eat it, you won't be hungry again. Oh, and here's the really unique thing about that bread. You won't even be thirsty again. And then he went further to explain. The more he explained, the more he taught, as he began to teach doctrine, teaching, people began to get uncomfortable. And we are about to see a mass exodus of his followers. So let's give our attention and see what it was that drove so many away. Beginning with verse 51. About that bread, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me He also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, some of this portion that are words that came right out of the mouth of Jesus, some of this is really hard to even hear. And so will you, will you show us what he was talking about, what you're talking about for us? And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Eating flesh and drinking blood. What in the world? What does he mean by this? Well, first of all, we cannot take this with what I'm going to call just a, a crass literalism. Now, somebody's going to say, wait a minute, aren't you the people that take the Bible literally? We'll say, yes, of of course, doesn't everyone? But when we say we take the Bible literally, what we are saying is that that we are are taking it the way Jesus or or whoever was doing the teaching was teaching. We are taking it for the truth that it is and not what I'm calling a crass literalism. We understand, for instance that there are things like metaphors, similes. If you don't remember what those are, go back and study your arithmetic. So, you know. (laughs) We understand that that Jesus uh, used those kinds of phrases. We do too. So that's what we are to seek to understand. So, was he talking about cannibalism here? To us, that's almost laughable. It's like, oh, who, who would even think that for a moment? Uh, let's say the Romans. Nero. The accusations against the Christians of that day were literally one of them that kept coming up was, we hear you're cannibals. You eat flesh and you drink blood. You get together secretly and do that. 
And so we have to, first of all, at least answer that, of course not. That's not what he was talking about. So what does it mean? Well, let me tell you first what some want it to mean. There are those that want it to refer to the Lord's Supper and to communion. Now, in God's providence, because I'm not a good enough planner to ever put, you know, look this far ahead and know exactly, but in God's providence, we're having communion today. And I just want to tell you right up front, it's not talking about the Lord's Supper. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But there are those that want to relate it to the Lord's Supper. Here's, here's uh, what, what they would say uh, when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They say that it's referring to a doctrine that has come, become uh, known as transubstantiation, the changing of the substance, which basically what they are teaching is that uh, the, the bread and, uh, or wafer or whatever it is really becomes his body, really. Not chemically, but really. And that the fruit of the vine, the wine, literally becomes his blood. Now, that's problematical. It's, it's not what the Scripture is teaching. But in addition, they would say, and so, when you partake of it, it's one of the things you do to contribute to your salvation. That's the biggest, bigger problem. They're both problematical. They're, they're both wrong. But to indicate that there is any right, R-I-T-E, that, that we could partake of and it contributes to our salvation, that's just heresy. That's not the gospel. And so it does not mean uh, that. So let me tell you why I'm convinced that it doesn't refer to the Lord's Supper. There are many reasons. I'm just going to give you three. The first is that the Lord's Supper wasn't instituted until a year later on the night of Jesus' arrest. So for him to talk in this way about the Lord's Supper a year out um, would, would have been so far beyond mystery and so disjointed from what he then later said that it, it just doesn't make sense. Secondly, uh, to indicate that um, one can be saved only by partaking of the supper because he says, look, you got to eat of these things if you're going to be saved, basically. So to, to indicate that, if he was teaching that about the Lord and, and applying it to the Lord's Supper, then he's contradicting everything he's said so far in his ministry and everything he says after that and everything the whole rest of the Bible says about how we are saved by grace alone, not by our works. So it doesn't make sense in that way. And then thirdly, Jesus never uses the word flesh when he's speaking of the Lord's Supper. He always talks about his body, not his flesh. So what does it mean then? 
I'm convinced that he is referring to his upcoming death on the cross. He's talking about shedding blood, about his flesh literally being on the cross. Throughout John, we see Jesus uh, and his work related to Passover. Remember, this was still around that time. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Remember what happened at Passover. The Passover lamb, what happened to the Passover lamb? It was eaten. It was eaten as a symbol of being identified with the sacrifice for sin offered by the Lamb of God that was to come. He wanted his listeners, the Jews, who would get it, they understood Passover, he wanted them to make the connection between the Passover lamb and his own sacrificial death. Here's what J.C. Ryle says. Whenever a man, feeling his own guilt and sinfulness, lays hold on Christ and trusts in the atonement made for him by Christ's death, so he's saying whenever somebody trusts in Christ alone, his death on the cross and uh, and trusts in that, at once he, quote, eats the flesh of the Son of Man and drinks his blood. So what he's saying is that's when we're, we're, we're completely in. When we, as it were, throw ourselves in faith completely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So think in terms of this being a metaphorical description of faith in Christ. Eating and drinking his flesh and his blood is equivalent to trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. It has to be because of how he relates it to salvation. Now look at their reaction then. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, the the Greek word here for hard saying does not mean that Jesus' teaching was hard to understand. It means it's hard to accept. Arthur Pink put it this way. It, It was not that they found the language of Christ so obscure as to be unintelligible, but what they had heard was so irreconcilable with their own views that they wouldn't receive it. So what we need to see here is they... They never ask him for clarification. It was clear to them 
that he was calling them to be completely, devour him by faith. Believe in him and his sacrifice for sin. Verse 61 then, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take it offense at this? So, you know, if you were one of his disciples, you, you didn't really get away with backbiting, you know, and just whispering over in the corner. He, he caught it. And, and notice what he says here. Uh, again, the Greek word, and I usually don't give you the Greek word, but this one sounds like what uh, the English word is. Uh, the Greek word for take offense, do you, do you take offense at this, is scandalizo. To scandalize. So they're grumbling because they are scandalized by Jesus' substitutionary atonement. No longer is it going to be this lamb, but he's going to give himself how hard that was to accept. Now, think about it. When it comes to talking about being scandalized by the gospel or by Christ, nobody, nobody that I know of gets scandalized by the birth of Christ. Everybody's good with that. We can make a whole holiday around that one. And not that many, whether they believe it or not, get scandalized by the resurrection. But what causes scandal? The scandal is of the cross. When we hear about the Father's wrath being poured out on the Son, even though it's for us, it's too much for some. He's our Savior, as Machen said, not, not because he inspired us to live the same kind of life that he lived, but because he took on himself the dreadful guilt of our sins and bore it instead of us on the cross. That's what makes him the Savior, and that's what scandalized these people. It is scandalous to men and to natural man because our default position is we want to work our way to him. And it's hard for us to accept that what he did on the cross was enough. Now look at what happened. Verse 66. After that, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That was the straw, the last straw, and so many of those that were, they're called his disciples following him. Many of them said, that's it. I'm out of here on to something else. And then we see Jesus' response. Again, let me read 61. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense at this? Then, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He's saying, 
you think this is hard? You're going to see me leave this earth and go, go back to heaven at some point. If you're having a hard time now, you wait. It's going to get harder. Verse 63, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help. By the way, that too rules out that he was talking about the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about his flesh at this point, but their flesh. And he is emphasizing that there is nothing of the flesh that contributes to our salvation. Certainly, no religious rite or ceremony can save us. And then he goes on. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Now, here is a place where it does apply to the Lord's Supper. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. And this is for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. It's not a joke. It's not to be taken lightly. And we need to know this. You can fool those next to you. You can fool yourself. But he knows your heart. He is looking right through you in to your heart. And this table is for those who are trusting in Christ alone. For those who are living a life of repentance, dealing with their sin, rather than under the mastery of sin. And it's not to be fooled with. He warns us about that, as we'll hear in a few moments. And here, in, in this case, Jesus presses them to a choice. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the, the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And then he warns again, did I not choose you, the twelve? This is verse 70. And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So as we, we approach this table, I want us to transition with this. Verse 68, this was Simon Peter's answer to him. Lord, to whom shall we go? Some of, you know, there were people leaving in droves. And so he says to to his disciples that were still there. I don't know if there were only 12 left. Do you want to go too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? Now maybe, maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed by, by his teachings, by his call, by his call that you're either completely in or you're not in at all. Maybe that's too much. Maybe you feel like kind of moving on. 
he asks a great question. Where, where are you going to go? Would you go to Muhammad and, and hope that you do enough to please him somehow so that in that day you may get to see Muhammad? Would you go to Buddha? Krishna? Mary Baker Eddy with her reading room? Joseph Smith and Mormonism with their own book? Maybe one of the philosophers of, of this age or a past age. Where, where would you go? You can go to any of those. You can. But you won't find eternal life. Peter was right. When after asking that question, where would we go, he went on to say, you have the words of eternal life. We believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's our only hope. It is not in any of these others or any others that you can think of or conjure up in your own mind. It is only in Jesus that we are given the words of eternal life.